Welcome to the Sami Shu podcast, where we talk to Sami Shu's finest about martial arts, training, and life's smaller questions. In this episode, we talk to Sensei Ben McGinsey about why there is no such thing as gravity, why dinosaurs actually have feathers, which was a shocking news to me, and why we haven't all been killed by asteroids. And of course, we also talk about his journey in martial arts and some of life's tinier questions. This episode is sponsored by Time, who want to remind you that the time you enjoy wasting is never a waste of time. So you are professor at Georgia State University, right? Right. And you teach physics and astronomy? Yeah, more astronomy than physics. I'm, I'm one of the astronomers, but I do teach um, one particular physics course, the physics of music and speech. Right. Are you interested in music? Like, do you play any instrument or anything? I play the banjo, yeah. Oh, banjo. Oh, that's, that's nice. So you, you are into folk music, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like all kinds, but I like playing the banjo for folk music. And so what gave you an uh, idea to teach music and physics um, together? The course is actually a requirement for some, for some people that are music majors, mm-hmm. either musicians or music technology, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they actually have, they're actually required to take it because we go into, um, you know, um, well, we start out by talking about um, sound waves and wave motion, which is definitely a physics um, topic mm-hmm. and um, sound energy and so forth and properties of waves. And we talk about properties of human hearing and then, and we actually talk about uh, musical scales and temperament mm. and, um, and why various types of instruments make various musical sounds. We talk about um, resonances within the instrument, you know, sound waves bouncing back and forth and stuff like that within the instrument and how that varies and why woodwinds are different than brass and how stringed instruments work and all that sort of stuff. One thing I like to do when I interview people, I like to dig out some dirt uh, about them. <laughs> so uh, one thing I found on the internet about you is that uh, there's a student uh, comment about, uh, about your class. I think it's mm-hmm. Rami 101. So here's, here's what he says on the internet. So you can't trust anything on the internet, right? but still, here's what he says. So, quote, He's referring to you, quote, he says some pretty outrageous stuff sometimes. Like, <laughs> for example, like, there's no such thing as gravity, unquote. Yeah. Is that true? There's not any such thing as gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, what would, so two questions. What do you mean by there's no such thing as gravity? And second, what other outrageous stuff you say? Oh, geez. Um, well, I say that because um, gravity is some kind of invisible force, you know, pulling me towards the earth or pulling the earth towards the sun. There isn't really some invisible force. What we feel is due to the warping of space time. Mm. So here you go, getting me back into technical stuff again. Oh, I enjoy the technical stuff. But, I, I like physics. But, but um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's relativity theory and it's space time and, and the fact that we feel, um, 
what we call gravitational pull towards the Earth is because space-time is warped by the presence of the Earth's mass. Mm -hmm. It actually like creates a hole or a dip in space-time and you're prevented from falling further down that hole by the surface of the Earth. Mm-hmm. So as far as some invisible force goes, there's not one. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what there is is accounts for what we feel, and that's warping of space-time. Can't okay. imagine what else outrageous I say. I try to have fun in class and say um, – things that will get the students, you know, asking questions and commenting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, there's no telling what else I might have said. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. So why astronomy? Now, how did you get into astronomy? Is that what you you want want wanted to do when you grow up, I guess? No, no. You know, I guess when I was a teenager, I had all sorts of things in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. becoming a lawyer, becoming a doctor, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But somewhere along the line, um, I started reading science fiction, you know. Uh, and it just got me imagining other stars and other planets orbiting other stars and mm-hmm. what that might be like and what they might be like, you know, and how might people act if they were able to go to other stars and so forth. Hmm. And uh, so that just got me interested in astronomy, basically. And astronomy's really just physics of what's the, planets. So, yeah. What? What's, do you remember any fictions that re, in the science fiction that really capture your imagination of that? Oh, the probably the, one of the first was um, the Foundation trilogy. Oh, uh, with uh, Isaac Asimov, right? Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah, that was one of the first, and there were others. Um, Dune, mm-hmm. um, Frank Herbert, about which they made a pretty atrocious movie. Yeah, um, I think uh, I heard a lot of people mention Dune, and then there's a new movie coming out, so I hope this one's good. I hope this one's better, yeah, because yeah. uh, the first one was not so good. Oh, I see, I see, I see. But... Um, that book was fascinating, not just because it was a planet that's completely different from the Earth, but he, you know, they actually touch on the ecology of the planet and, and all sorts of things. So I thought it was pretty well written, you know, because it wasn't just a wasn't just about a shoot 'em up kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Had some insight into other uh, other. Uh, aspects of, of you know someplace entirely different than the earth and there's some stuff on now that's still pretty good mm-hmm. uh, um there's a recent show that was on uh, amazon called the expanse mm-hmm. that was pretty realistic as far as the size of our solar system and orbital motion and mm-hmm. you know weightlessness if you're coasting in space and so forth. I see. Okay. I need to check it out. Then. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still interested. Yeah. Uh, I don't read nearly as much as I did when I was um, younger, just cause I'm busier, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're doing a real science now. So you create. Yeah. Science. Yeah. <laughs> so science fiction leads you to astronomy, but that's physics is very huge, right? You can do cosmology, um, quantum mechanics and all the other stuff. Like, Oh, well, you know, 
Um, I, I'm interested in cosmology too. It's just that, um, you know, I was a little bit drawn to stuff that was a little bit more about things to me that were a little more tangible than mm. talking about the Big Bang or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I originally studied um, quasars. We, we now call them AGNs, active galactic nuclei. So that was just a more tangible thing I could wrap my head around, I guess is the best way to put it. Nowadays, I've, I've come all the way back, and now I'm pretty interested in how the solar system formed. Mm. So I sort of went from way out there to closer in. Okay, nice. So quasar, mentioning quasar, what is quasar? Um, it's a um, supermassive black hole at the core of a galaxy. Okay. And it's, uh, it's, the word astronomers use is it's accreting. Matter is swirling down into it, and as it swirls down towards the black hole, towards the event horizon, it heats up and emits all sorts of uh, light energy, all different parts of the spectrum. And then what you see depends upon you know, what's going on around the quasar, you know, or disks of gas and dust and stars and all that sort of stuff can can modify what you see. Okay. So, but they're all basically the same thing. They're, so, they're gigantic black holes with matter falling in. Okay, okay. So quasar is basically a type of black hole. It says, it's like, that means massive and emit a lot of, uh, I guess, black. Yes, it's called supermassive. They are, they are millions, in some cases, billions of times the mass of the sun. Okay. So for lay person, like, these stuff are really far away. Like, why should like, lay people like, care about this kind of stuff? Well, mostly I think they don't. <laughs> <laughs> True. Including my wife. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, but um, I think it's all part of understanding, you know, the world and the universe around us. We, we ended up in this technical society today mm -hmm. because people several hundred years ago asked questions about, you know, why... Why do things seem to fall to the surface of the earth? You know, mm. why if, um, if I stop suddenly, nobody probably 400 years ago could stop too suddenly, but why if you slam on the brakes in a car, are you thrown forward? You know, things like that. Okay. So we went from there to beginning to understand the laws of motion and then electricity. And then, you know, the more we learned, um, the more a whole lot of uh, the more we learned the more we wanted to know you know and it's um it's amazing to me how quickly society changes um and the truth of the matter is is we don't know if studying quasars will ever be of any practical benefit to us if it is I bet it would be someday, but if it is, I bet it's a long time in the future, you know, mm. yeah. but, um, 
but uh, just new knowledge and new understanding has 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 changed everything around us. You know, mm. most I'm older than most people in the dojo, mm-hmm. and I remember when Star Trek first came out. Mm. You know, and they had all this gee whiz stuff like the transporter. You know, and yeah. stuff. and they are individual communicators. All of that was not possible when when star trek came out but now we all carry around these individual communicators that we call cell phones in our pockets so Mm, so you know and in 1969 nobody had a clue Mm -hmm. who knows what's going to come of what we learn yeah that's very good yeah so the more because the more we know the more we know that we don't know right yeah yeah and and some of the things we've learned um have some practical application, you know, in technology. I think things they've learned from the space program have had mm-hmm. applications back here on Earth and so forth. I mean, Velcro came from the space program. Oh, know? ah, nice. Yeah. Useful. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really, it's really research for the sake of knowledge, without mm-hmm. thinking about what can I do practically with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, we as humans sort of need that. I mean, we need practical people too, you know, engineers and doctors. But I think we also need to expand our minds a little bit from time to time too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, regarding expanding our minds, have you heard of the stargazing therapy? No, I haven't. Really? Uh, do, do you do you stargaze? I'm assuming you do because you're an astronomer. Do you mean just look at the stars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's pretty, you know. Some of the things you can actually see through a small telescope are, are just amazing to look at and oh, to imagine, you know. Yeah, to imagine. What do you mean by to imagine? Well, you know, you're looking through this telescope, and if you're looking at something like the, like, say, the Andromeda galaxy, you know, this huge spiral galaxy. It's just just imagining, wow, the light took two and a half million years to get here from that galaxy. Yeah. So that's that's just sort of mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. Like you see no star, but it's just still there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The star it may not still be there. Mm-hmm. One star nearby we know is gonna blow up one of these days. We just don't know exactly when. Which one is that? Beetlejuice. Okay. Beetlejuice? Yeah. Then that's why in, uh, hold on, uh, the, the book, what's the book again? Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? There's a Beetlejuice. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, so um, when, you, when you look at the stars, so how often, how often do you do that? Do you look in a, through a telescope? Uh, you know, once a month, something like that. We have... Um, Mostly my job right now is teaching, mm-hmm. so that's where I spend my time, but we take students out to see, um, you know, to well, we did before the virus outbreak. Yeah. We took students to telescopes, so you know, for observing sessions, uh, so that they could get an idea of what, how a telescope operates, um, what you can see, you know, even a small telescope. Where, where do you do that in Atlanta? We have, Georgia State has an observatory at Hard Labor Creek. 
mm-hmm. State Park, which is east of here in a little near a little town called Rutledge. Uh, and we have two pretty large telescopes there. Um, I've also, since I've been in Atlanta, we use the Agnes Scott Observatory. They have a pretty big telescope, mm. but it's, boy, is it old. It's like 90 years old or something like that. Yeah, wow. And I don't know if they still use it, but nowadays modern astronomy um, mostly is done with extremely large telescopes or telescopes in space. Mm-hmm. And they share time on them and you have to write a proposal and mm. you get certain amounts of time, like a few nights at, you know, some kind of uh, interval. And, and, and it's done remotely. You don't really have to go there. Early in my career, I went to places like, uh, oh, the Southwest, Arizona, and to Chile. Mm-hmm. to use um, some of the large telescopes. But nowadays, with all the computer technology, you can actually sit in your office and do the same thing. Oh, really? In real time, I guess? Now you can, you can, can you control those telescope? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. You can actually point it and move it and, and set it and start, start the measurements, all that stuff, just sitting, you know, at your computer screen. Okay, are those available to public or no? No. Oh, okay. Do, so, so I guess for, for the common people, so how, how in Atlanta, and how would we do that if we want to go? Well, they have, uh, they have several places around. We have open houses at our observatory once a month for the public. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Fernbank, um, once again, before the virus, is open weekly, you know, for observing sessions. They have a a fairly large telescope, about not quite a meter across. Um, and um, um, Agnes Scott used to. I don't think they do anymore. Okay. I'm trying to think where else around town. I think there's, there are a couple of uh, planetariums around town, Fernbank also, and I think one up north a little bit. But... Um, as far as large telescopes go, it's it's sort of down to Fernbank and us. Okay. The reason I ask because I, I don't think I have ever seen the stars through a telescope. No? Yeah, no, not yet. So I might, Listen, I might the next time when we open back up after this virus is gone, I'll let you know. So you can come to one of our open houses. Awesome. Can, it's um it's kind of amazing. We've uh, you know, we have big crowds and there'll be, you know, school kids from somebody's class or Girl Scout troops or we, we never know who's going to come. We usually have more hundreds of people show up. Oh, okay, nice. Um, but, uh, and we have people are just amazed, you know, we'll point the telescope at Saturn and they'll look through the telescope and Saturn's just right there. They can see the rings really easily, the works. And then um, I've had them go around to the front of the telescope to look, see if we pasted a picture mm-hmm. on the front. You know, <laughs> so we said, no, you're looking at the real thing. <laughs> oh, really? And they, they, they went around to check to see if it's fake? Yeah, they thought, they thought it was fake, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So I, I, will, I will have to do that then because, uh, yeah, awesome. 
Do you remember the first time you ever and I see through the stars through the telescope? I don't know if I remember the first time. Um, I'm sure it was sometime when I was in my teens. Right there. But um, I remember the first time, you know, when I started my the astronomy program, just looking through those telescopes, it was just amazing. Mm. You know, just a, the things that you could see that you just had no inkling was there. It's not just stars, of course. It's, you know, it's clouds of gas that are remains of exploded stars or stars in the process of formation and other galaxies and um, just just amazing stuff that you never think about. The Hubble telescope has done more than anything to sort of make that public because they, mm-hmm. you know, they publish all these pictures that the Hubble has taken. It's, you know, some of them are just mind-blowing. Yeah. I, I mentioned I started gazing as a therapy earlier. Uh-huh. It's because uh, recently you know, I've heard people, quite a few people, and I mentioned in you know, a stargazing as a therapy for like for depression. Yeah, actually, when you like for people, imagine like just regular people, like uh, whatever problem you have in your life, a little bit, right. and then you look at the stars, and right. then you see like how big. I guess you realize how big the universe is and how small you are. Yeah, you definitely. Like, yeah. You are you are just a tiny dot on a tiny dot. Yeah, do that, right? So, yeah. so whatever your worries, like, does it really matter? Yeah. Well, uh, of course they matter to each of us, but yeah, it's it. That's one of the the really amazing things you, when you really get an idea of of how big everything is and how tiny we are compared to it. I mean, just in our solar system. Mm. You know, the the Earth is just a tiny speck con- mm-hmm. compared to all the distances, you know, between the Earth and Mars and the Earth and Venus and Jupiter and so forth. Um, one reason we don't have asteroids slamming into us every day is space is really big. There's a whole lot of room for them to miss, you know. <laughs> so, um, so are you saying that our survival is because we are lucky? We survived so far because we are lucky. Yeah, that's part of it. That's uh, part of it. Think about the dinosaurs. They weren't lucky and an asteroid killed them off. Okay, true. All right, true, very true. Okay, so so do what you do. You want to do is today. Don't wait for tomorrow because asteroid might hit us, right? You never know. Well, you never know, but I'm pretty sure not tomorrow. Yeah. But I can't, I can't tell you anything about next year yet. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so I feel like, you know, we can, I can talk to you about physics astronomy for another couple of hours. So let's transition to martial art a little bit. So how, when did martial art come into your life? You know, um, Martial arts were on TV and in the movies, even when I was a teenager, you know, I think Bruce Lee was, became famous, you know, and so it looked interesting to me. And um, I was at the University of Florida Mm -hmm. and um, one of uh, the graduate students at the university, he was, he was older. He was not, you know, the same age as the rest of us. he already had a family, 
but he came from Vietnam and he had already, uh, he'd been studying martial arts, I think since he was very young mm. and, and had black belts and a couple of different styles. And he actually invented his own style mm. and um, started teaching it in Vietnam and um, in Hanoi. And then mm. later on, Way, I think. And uh, then when he came to graduate school at the University of Florida, he, he brought it with him. And I would be walking across campus and I'd uh, walk past, uh, you know, various locations on campus and I'd see these huge crowds of people all out practicing martial arts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it just appealed to me. I, immediately I was interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked... Um, I, I don't remember exactly who I talked to, but I asked around and mm. figured out how to join. And so I actually um, joined one of one of the new classes. They started. So you um, are saying you are saying that in, in current climate and the COVID climate, we are actually training outside right now. Mm-hmm. We are actually circling back to an older tradition of training. Yeah, because we had, you know, I'm sure in my beginning class we had at least. 50 people mm, wow at least um and so you almost have to be outside with that many people it's hard to find a big enough room you know yeah yeah so um, so yeah we would be outside you know on florida field or in, in other places you know other big open spaces like that mm. do you remember your first week of training I remember they asked us to do things I never would thought they'd ask us to do, like push-ups use on our knuckles, you know. Oh. And then we went from that to push-ups on our knuckles on concrete. Okay. Oh, really? Concrete? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, this is uh, – oh, Sensei, obviously, was the guy that invented everything mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And, um, yeah, he was, he was pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was – Who was teaching you? No, first we have class. Was it O Sensei or some someone else? No, it was um, it was a brown belt. Mm-hmm. By the time I joined, we already had uh, some brown belts, and I think the first black belt class tested about the time I joined. The first group of black belts mm-hmm. that would have been um, oh, who would that have been? Mary for one, and I think hey, John, Mr. Mary Davis. I think she was in the first group of five black belts, yeah. Uh, so she was there. She was there. Uh, yeah, she was there at the University of Florida. Okay. I had, I had met her, I think, mm-hmm. before I started Kung Nu. Oh, wow. Um, she, was, uh, she was working in the Department of Entomology, and mm-hmm. I had a friend who also worked for the Department of Entomology, so I think that's how I met her. Oh wow! Okay, that's nice. So, so you say you're doing a lot of this weird like stuff you never done before, like knuckle push-ups on a concrete. But I mean, what what could, what make you stay? Like you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, this is really too hard for me." You know, it's like I want to quit. You know, after a while. But yeah, I don't know. I was just um, I was just ambitious. You know, it's the same thing that affects a lot of us. You know, I wanted to. 
in, in, in first place, I wanted that green stripe around my belt, you know. I wanted to be not a beginner anymore, so I wanted to learn that stuff, you know. And you get to one green stripe and you say, okay, well, I can do this, but what about this knife hand block thing, you know. So mm-hmm. you just um, – it it just appealed to me. You know, it's really interesting as I've watched this over the years and people have started and come and gone and – a lot of us obviously have stuck with it for a long period of time, you know, Sensei Gordon and Sensei Allen and all of us who are black belts, you know, mm. and, um, um, and it just appealed to me. There's just something about the discipline mm-hmm. and the, uh, the feeling of achievement, you know, um, that just appealed to me. And I can see where it doesn't appeal to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. other people have, um, oh, different things excite them, you know. Yep. Could be any one of a million things. And it just doesn't appeal so much. So I see it's really interesting how it happens. You see people sort of either don't stick with it at all mm-hmm. or stick with it all the way to green belts and then sort of fall by the wayside. And some go a little further and, stick all the way to brown belt and then sort of fall by the wayside. I I guess it's like those belt colors are a major goal. And once people have gotten there, if they're not challenged again, they sort of, you know, move on to something else, I guess. Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what happened to me. I got my green belt and I just uh, let it slide. And and I, I, I didn't train for like six, seven years and I came back. So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it happens. And a lot of people come back, you know, mm-hmm. David and Billy Johnson have recently come back, you know, and they were brown belts several years ago. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I think, well, that's happened to several of us. You know, I left for a period of time mm-hmm. when I moved to Atlanta and got a job here. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first moved, there was no come new. And I didn't find out till later that, Kung Nu had come to Atlanta also. And as soon as I found that out, I went back. Mm, nice. Yeah, so um, so how, how long did you train with Kung Nu and UF? Like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I started in, I think, January of 74. And I left at the end of the summer in 75 when, when I graduated and got a job at Georgia State. I see. So, uh, so I'm assuming you'll be green belt then. Actually, yes. I think I was one brown stripe. Okay. Nice. Right. So, um, so, you know, nobody I knew came to Atlanta. Mm. Nobody I knew from from the school came to Atlanta. So, um, so I just started running. You mm. know. Okay. And. and did a whole lot of that for years and years. And then uh, I saw a bumper sticker on the back of somebody's car driving around town that said, Kanu, you know. Really? Yeah, it was a Georgia license plate, so I figured they were here. So I actually looked them up. Uh-huh. And uh, sure enough, it had a phone number and address. And mm-hmm. I called, and I think Alan must have answered. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. And said, sure, come on down, you know, if you're interested. So I went down and uh, to the old dojo, you know, on Inman Park. Mm-hmm. 
and um, walked in the front door and ran into Mary Davis, whom I hadn't seen for years and years. Oh, wow. And she said, I know you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I felt welcome back immediately. And there were a couple other things. She's done several things for me. She, uh, when I passed my black belt test, she put together, I guess you call it a notebook. Hmm. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a book about, you know, it contains articles and, and drawings and stuff like that, um, that um, about martial arts hmm. and about, you know, improving yourself and setting goals and all that sort of stuff. It was very, very, oh, I don't know, personal, I guess you could say. It was, um, I never expected anything like that. The other thing she said to me was, you know, I was, by the time I came back, I was already 40 or something like that, mm -hmm. maybe 41, I'm not sure. And, you know, I said something to her two or three years after I'd come back. Hmm. You know, I, on the order of, I think I, she was um, Godon at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I'm pretty confident I'm going to, uh, I'm going to reach Black Belt. Hmm. But I don't know if I'll ever reach Godon. And she immediately jumped on me and said, don't ever put a limit on yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you think you can do it, you know, you can probably do it. And still on the back of my head, Mm. Actually thinking about that fifth degree test, you know, thinking about, you know, how I might be able to do it. So, okay. So that, that made an impression on me. Don't, mm -hmm. don't sell yourself short. Don't say you can't do anything. Mm, nice. Uh, did you get your go done? No, not yet. I'm fourth degree. I'm young done. Gotcha. All right. Need to start working on it. <laughs> yeah, me and Doug and Maceo and mm -hmm. several of us. Nice, nice. What's her teaching style, if you can? Um, hmm, no nonsense. No, <laughs> what, there, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you're there to work out and not to fool around or talk. You know, oh, really? you're not there to make comments or say, wow, that was a tough kata. Nope, you were just there to do the kata. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you ever... She would, she would do, you know, we'd do kicks up and down the floor until, you know, we felt like you couldn't lift your leg. Mm -hmm. you know, she was tough. So, yeah. So what do you think? Uh, the, I think Samin Xu had been in, as a dojo, had been in Atlanta for, for quite a while, almost like maybe 35 years. I'm not sure about... Yeah, uh, I think it was early 80s when they... Yeah, so, yeah. What, what, so what do you thing that's contributing to his, uh, what, what's the key to his longevity? Good question, because not every dojo yeah. in, in Kanu has lasted. Um, I, think, I think it gets down to people, and I think it really has a lot to do with the leadership. Mm. I think we've been really lucky. Um, I can't speak to the people before I came. I know Allison Appen was, I think, head of the school for a short time. Mm -hmm. But I think we've been really lucky in having um, Mary and Alan and Gordon mm -hmm. uh, leading the school. I think, I think it's been strong leadership. And I think it's, um, I think there have been a lot of um, 
I think it's been the, the fact that um, it's not just the guys, not just the hips of school, mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of support from, from all the senior members. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we run our school has made a difference. You know, it's, a, it's not a for-profit. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's um, you know, voluntary and, you know, the black belts and brown belts volunteer to help mm-hmm. lower classes. And I think that's helped to, to sort of bind the school together. Mm-hmm. There have been times when it was tough, you know, when, when membership declined and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing we've done in the last 10 years is move to the new dojo because mm-hmm. I think that helped bring in a whole lot more members and made the dojo more financially viable, you know? Yeah. Nice. That's good. <laughs> so, oh, sensei is really into philosophy with, for martial arts. Like, did he talk about philosophy when you were training at UF? Like, oh, yeah. How, oh, did yeah. He, how did he talk about it? Like, how did he talk about it? He, you know, his philosophy is pretty strongly, and you can tell this from the code of ethics that we are not in this to you know to to run out and beat people up. We're here to improve ourselves and to you know serve the people. Yeah, so that we can be uh, better members of society and so forth. Yeah. And um, he would talk all aspects of that. You know, it's it's really kind of. Really, it was really kind of hard with those sensei training sometimes because he'd say, okay, let's do, you know, pin on one. Yeah. And you do that. And okay, then he'd have you do various, you know, um, combinations and stuff. He'd say, okay, come in, sit. So we come in, sit, and he'd talk about, you know, philosophy for 20 minutes. Okay, get up, pin on two. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been sitting there, you know, getting yeah. stiff. Yeah, uh, it was um, it was kind of crazy. Mm, wow. Some of the things that Kunu started, mm. I think, are you know excellent ideas. He obviously thought everybody should be well rounded. Mm-hmm. Certainly, he was. But you know the 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 require the writing requirements. You know, for brown belts and black belts, and you know uh, the written the written um, you know paper. Yeah. And the public speaking that he required everybody to do. Uh, I think that was, that's just, to me, that was totally different yeah. than any other style of martial arts. I had, after I came to Atlanta, I did start uh, taking martial arts, another style of martial arts. And one of the, uh, one of the uh, schools on campus, you know, there, there's one of us students at Georgia State, mm-hmm. you know, had, um, I guess in the in the you know the gym had you know martial arts classes, but it never appealed to me the way Kun Nu did. Mm. And I'm sure the reason is not so much the techniques were worse; mm-hmm. it's just the philosophy that went with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because uh, yeah, that's a very good point actually. Because I I I I cannot think of any. Uh, style that does that, like make you write a paper, uh, do public speaking, right? Actually, yeah. in my public speaking has improved because of that. Because uh, you know, I think uh, what do they say about public speaking is 
I think some people fear it more than death, right? Yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So so you mentioned he's a very good, like well-rounded uh, person. I like, well, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like how? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, just you know, I did not know him super well personally, but just the things I know about him. You know, I, he has a PhD in, or had a PhD in entomology. Mm-hmm. You know, he had black belt in multiple styles of martial arts. Mm-hmm. He um, was a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, he got into running. He is was a singer. You know, what singer? Yeah, he, he loves singing. Yes. Wow. Uh, and he loved to get together and sing songs with people. You know. Uh, do have you heard? Have you ever heard him sing? Yeah. Yeah. No. What 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 song? Like which song? Do you, do you uh, he he would always pick songs that the rest of us knew. It would be something uh, American, you know, something in English. Mm. Um, so uh, I had never never heard anything that he sang that was Vietnamese. Maybe others have. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, but you know, if, if he was with the karate school, he'd always pick something American and you know not complicated tunes or anything. That's where the tradition at training camp of singing uh, around the world in 80 days came from. Mm-hmm. He actually started that. Mm. Uh, it's just, everybody knows the words, everybody that, you know, especially grew up in this country and, um, you know, it's just easy to follow. And he would, he would like to do pick songs like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What else? What, what else can What else can he do that I cannot do? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say he was the best singer I ever heard, but he was not bad. <laughs> got you. Got you. All right. Yeah. Um. Um. I saw him do some amazing things. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was always flabbergasted. But so, uh, what what kind of amazing things you saw him doing? I guess the crazy thing was. I saw at the University of Florida, he had somebody cut, take a really sharp knife and cut halfway through an apple. Okay. And then he blindfolded himself and split the apple with a backhand strike without cutting himself, just and hit the apple and drove it straight on through the knife, but didn't cut himself. So he was doing it totally by, you know, feel or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he would. He reached out. He knew where the apple and the knife were. He reached out and figured the distance and then, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. One other crazy thing I saw him do is um, I broke my foot in the dojo. Yeah. One time. Just we were doing laps and mm. I, and I tripped over somebody and landed on the side of my foot and broke the bones in my ankle. Hmm. So I was on crutches for a couple of months and during, and he came for a visit during that time. And this is in the old dojo, of course. And, you know, I crutched it up the stairs. I'm hmm. sure with great difficulty and, and, um, um, walked in and, you know, I was talking to him and I'm sure Alan was there and, and so forth. I think Mary was still there too. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, crutches. You ever do crutch kata? <laughs> <laughs> no, sensei. <laughs> so he took my crutch and on the spot invented a kata, which oh, looked 
terrific using a crutch as a weapon. Mm, wow. Nice. Do you still remember Nakata? Oh, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should teach that. I wish I wished I had taken a video of him doing it because uh, I don't I don't even know if the phones we had at that time would even do videos, you know. But yeah. but um, but yeah, he invented a kata from scratch. Wow, wow! Just using in, using a crutch in real time. <laughs> in real time, I was very impressed. So wow, that's, maybe you should when you when we come back training, maybe you should reinvent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the crotch kata, you know, nice. So just in memory of uh, Osensei. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, sometimes, you know, people get injured, you know, and then we can, you know, do crotch cutters instead of. Yeah, yeah. sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a thought. That would be a thought. Yeah, okay. Did you do any sports besides martial arts? Yeah, I was on, I was on the track team. Okay. Oh wow. So I ran. I ran. In college? I ran, huh? Or college? No, I went to a college that at the time didn't have a track team, which was always disappointing to me. Mm. Uh, but um, in high school, I was on the track team. Okay. Me too. In college, I. Oh, were you? <laughs> For a year. <laughs> uh, in college, I played the uh, um, flag football. Oh, nice. You know, but yeah. I never, never, never organized. Well, I guess that was sort of organized, but never, you know, for a high school or college team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what did you do in high school, you know, on track team? Were you running like uh, cross country or just like track meets? We would do cross country in the fall and we'd do um, track meets, you know, uh, track events in the spring. Uh, I ran... Um, well, at the time, we didn't, you know, we weren't using the metric system at all. So yeah. I would run the mile and the half mile and what? the 440, which is a quarter of a mile, 440 yards. Gotcha. What's your, what's your best time? Uh, I could run a half mile in under two minutes. Wow. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, That's very good. That's nice. Uh, the human limit is almost like four-minute mile, right? <laughs> yeah, it would be like a four-minute mile. Yeah, um, and I, you know, uh, I can't remember how fast I ran a mile. Not, not four minutes. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, running road races uh, after after I moved to Atlanta, I I did a ten k. In like forty minutes, I think. Wow! Wow! Nice. The Peachtree Road Race? No, I got seated for the Peachtree Road Race. Mm. Uh, they called it sub seated. I was just behind the seated group. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you can't run the Peachtree that fast unless you're in the front group because there's yeah, just yeah. many people in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty minutes, really good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Once upon a time, I could do that. Now, I, I, <laughs> now I'm doing good to walk a mile in 40 minutes, I think. <laughs> That's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so what do you think about beer mile? What's that? Beer mile. You, you, you're doing a race. You're running, you're running a mile but in a race, but you drink beer at the same time. <laughs> I could never do it. Really? 
I would never make it. I'd throw up. You should try now. <laughs> you still catch yeah. No, my knees hurt too much. I see. I see. I think I think pounding the pavement for years mm. sort of did in my knees. If you can, like, give younger runners like, advice how to protect their, their knees, like maybe so they can have a long longevity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, longer like longevity in terms of my like, physical uh, health, right? So, what would you give them? How 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 should they do? What they do should to protect their knees when they run? Because uh, personally, I, I run sometimes too, so I'm really curious. Like, how how can I protect? Oh, my knees? Yeah. get really good shoes, really good shoes, okay. and make sure you know that. Oh, you know, they have professionals to tell you about this, but the way your foot strikes the pavement and all of that and that your foot's not turning in or out or something like that. Actually, yeah. Um, um, and I would, as much as possible, try to stay off hard surfaces, especially concrete. Okay. Asphalt is better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as hard. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, I think that's part of my problem is I ran a whole lot of concrete sidewalks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were you ever taught how to run? Yeah. Um, when I was on the track team, they would talk to us. And after, uh, after um, um, I started running, you know, as an adult here in Atlanta, uh, Coca-Cola actually had a track coach. Hmm. Because we'd, we'd have corporate teams and compete against Delta and AT&T and other big companies. Yeah. So we actually had a coach that would talk to us about, mm -hmm. you know, the mechanics of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because uh, I've been to foot doctors and all to to help, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that my knees aren't twisted one way or another when my foot strikes the ground. So. I see. I see. Because uh, recently I've listened to someone was mentioning like. Running is one of the fundamental uh, things like for humans like do, but mm -hmm. we are usually a lot of people are not really taught how to do it. Like for me, right personally, I never, I, I'm never, I was never like taught how to run properly, right? So I, I still go out there and run, you know, but I still, I was never taught, so I'm not sure if I'm running pro properly. Yeah, right. yeah, I get it, uh, and there are definitely techniques. You know, I've seen people. I saw a, um, a world-class marathoner mm -hmm. with really, really weird gait. You know, he would bounce up and down as he ran. Yeah. Well, that's no good. That's just wasting energy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's, it's, it's not just getting out there and moving. There's definitely a way to do it and a way not to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's good. All right. Maybe I, I should take some running lessons then. Maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Um, you know, yeah. people at places like Fidipides, the shoe store, can probably um, tell you about maybe some websites or something you can go to, you know, yeah. just to, yeah. to get some idea of the fundamentals. Yeah. Do you have a, like a past failure, maybe struggle or challenge that you have learned a lot from? Well, I failed my two brown stripe tests the first time. <laughs> so so uh, I think before that, um, 
you know, I sort of felt like, okay, I've been coming, I've been coming to class and I've been, you know, working out every class time and I'll just take this test and that will be that. This was back before, this is when I was still in Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, I figured out that that's not the right attitude. <laughs> you have to really work at it, you know, and work uh, to perfect your techniques and so forth and not just think showing up will do it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, um, I had a very hard time breaking boards for mm. my black belt test. Mm-hmm. I think it was lack of confidence. Mm. Um, so that's sort of was pretty instructive too. It, it sort of told me, you know, you really have to go into these things positively. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You really, you really have to think, um, you really have to think I'm going to do this. And if you have some doubts, then you need to keep working your techniques. You know, if you're doubt, you know, have some doubts about board breaking, you need to keep working on whatever it is you're planning on doing until you feel like, yeah, I've sort of got a handle on this. Hmm. Yeah. You got, you got to have an attitude so you can, yeah, uh, on the techniques and sometimes mental as well. You need to. Yeah, you you need to know you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, mm-hmm. and um, I, I remember that was a real help for me on my brown belt test. I uh, I went to Florida to watch a brown belt test for the North Florida region. You know, I wasn't testing; I just went to observe. And I watched the whole test, and when they were done, I they I said. I can do this. Mm. I watched every bit of it and I know I can do this. So, mm. so that, um, you know, that helped because when I took the test, you know, a few months later, I knew I could do it. Nice. So, nice. so any, any failures outside of martial arts? Outside of martial arts. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I tried to get into the air force Academy and didn't make it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Why did you want to get into Air Force Academy? Uh, I wanted to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had um, one of uh, my uncles was in the Air Force. I, um, and um, I was in the Civil Air Patrol. Are you, do you know what that is? I know. It's, it's an Air Force auxiliary. It's the, if you... If your plane crashes, it's generally the Civil Air Patrol that goes looking for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you crash in some remote area and, then, you know, nobody finds you immediately. Mm-hmm. So I joined um, as what they call a cadet, you know, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. It's the adults that actually uh, do that. And uh, uh, I got a scholarship and learned to fly. And uh, uh, I wanted to... Um, wanted to join the air force but unfortunately my vision sucks <laughs> yeah. and at the time my high school grades weren't all that great mm. I think that was a learning experience for me too when i got to college i said you know i think i'm going to work at it this time i wasn't working at it so much in high school how did you feel in the first time you were flying scary well, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Because it's easy to take an airplane off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you point it down the runway and, and uh, um, you know, push in the throttle and, you know, and when, you're, when your ground speed is high enough, you just pull back on the stick and up you go. Mm-hmm. So I did, and there I am up there in the sky. This is my first time thinking, yeah. oh, shit. I've got to land this thing, and if I can't, I'm going to die. Wow. Yeah. Landing is uh, not as easy. Yeah. So, um, but I did. Um, you know, it was exciting. Um, when you need to make some maybe like big decisions, right, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Now, what's your, do you have a process of like, making a, a big decision? You know, interesting that you would ask that question. I don't, I don't, my way of making big decisions like that is not to think it through and come to a decision all at once. I know some people are anxious to, I want to make up my mind and, you know, make a decision. And I, Mm. I just let it, things percolate around in my head. Mm. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll write down pros and cons. Mm Mm-hmm. But sometimes, or either physically or mentally, but I just let things sort of percolate in my head. And what I found is, after a while, I sort of think, hmm, well, this seems to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and that's what I'll do. So, I see. So, you don't, you're not trying to rush the decision. I, I don't try to rush, yeah. I know other people's personalities are different and, mm-hmm. you know, they're more comfortable making a decision and proceeding and I'm comfortable letting it um, sort of hang for a little while while I sort of think it through. I see. So do you, so I'm not sure if you can give an example or not. You don't have oh. to. But <laughs> what big decision have I made recently? Or maybe many years ago. Oh, well, here's one. I mean, this is this is one of these everyday decisions. Yeah. But and it happened a couple of years ago. But mm-hmm. I thought about buying a new car. You know. All right. And I totally didn't need a new car. Mine wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a few years old, but not very. And it was paid for and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. and um, but I really wanted a car that had some of the newer stuff, you know, backup cameras and GPS and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought about it for a while, like mm-hmm. months. Like <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm sorry? Months. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, on the one hand thinking, you know, why do I need to spend the money? On the other hand thinking, well, there are some practical uses for a backup camera, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that I just want this car. Mm-hmm. So it just took me a while, but I finally decided, yeah, it's a reasonable thing to do. So I did it. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, so that's a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Uh, what kind of car did you get? Oh, I have a Honda. Okay. I have a Honda Accord. Okay. Maybe it's time to, are you thinking about getting a Tesla? <laughs> I did think about getting a Tesla. I did. I thought that went through too. How, how long did it? How long? How many months? Well, that was part of the that was part of the decision on this car. You know, oh, okay. I, 
should I get a Tesla? You know, should I get an electric car? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Teslas are not cheap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was thinking about the money angle of it and all that sort of stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, the pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And um, I finally decided it was just too much money, too much for the budget. So. Gotcha. So uh, I didn't do it. I mean, it's one of those things where I could have and just thought, nah, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't absolutely have to. Nice, nice. Yeah, and that's a. And that's well, I still like to have a Tesla, so maybe someday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, let then uh, let the decision percolate a little more. A little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. So, um, so have you ever made a decision that? you never rush like for example like you don't have many months to make the decision but you have like maybe days or maybe uh to do it right have you ever made those kind of decision before day where where i have to make a snap decision yeah and like maybe there's some decision that you have to so you don't have months to like, yeah so you don't yeah you don't just have a shorter time yeah i get what you mean yeah um i'm trying to think mm -hmm. I'm sure there are things like that I have to do. Mm. Well, yeah, recently, mm. uh, Georgia State was offering um, early retirement or retirement to people mm -hmm. who'd been at the university for you know, a certain period of time. and um, But you had to decide by August 24th. You know, they, the offer came this summer. Thanks. Mm. but you have to decide right away. And um, I thought, wow, that's a big decision, you know? Yeah. It's not just retirement, they're gonna give you a little extra money if you would retire. You mean, so, you mean more money than you are current, if you, for example, you were saying that they're gonna give you more money? For yeah, they give you, they pay you an extra four months. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, so your normal pay, but just extra, four more months of it after you retired. Mm -hmm. So, it's sort of attractive, you know, I'm definitely retirement age, um, but I like what I do, mm -hmm. you know, and I ask myself, what are you going to do if you're not, you know, you think, teaching? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I, uh, I decided to turn it down and I didn't have, you know, that was not weeks. I made that decision in just a couple of days, mm -hmm. thinking, thinking it through and, what do I really want? You know, yeah. maybe if they did it next year at this time, I'd have a different decision, but mm -hmm. this year I didn't. Yeah. I mean, retirement, I guess is a, is a decision you make. If you decide to retire, you cannot, I'm making a decision, right? But if you can, if you, I'm sorry, say that again. I'm saying that retirement. If you decide to retire, you cannot, it's, you cannot, I'm making a decision right later. Yeah, but you can. If you, if you decide to stay and then you can always, I'm making a decision next year. Yeah. Or next year, next yeah. Year. yeah. And that's part of my thinking, of course, I can always retire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it was like, well, what will I do with myself? You know, I don't want to sit around and watch television. Mm -hmm. You know, I can practice martial arts more, but you know, there's a limit to that. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can practice my, instrument more banjo more but there's a limit to that mm -hmm. yeah. so um so um yeah it just didn't seem quite the time that i wanted to do that you know 
Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I pretty much made the decision up within a couple, made the decision within a couple of days. Nice, nice. So, I mean, Warren Buffett is almost 90, right? And he's still going. So He's still going. Yeah, he is 90. He turned 90 like a week ago or something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one thing I like about academia, originally I want to be a professor, is because I was like, oh, okay, I can just teach forever until I die, right? So it doesn't really, so I can, like, yeah. so, because, uh, you know, if you let your mind go, you know, if you don't stop teaching, then you just let your mind go basically kind of in a way, right? Well, that was part of my thinking. You know, I like what I do, and it's a challenge, and it keeps you mentally on your feet, you know. And, um, you know, if I'm liking what I do, and it, I find that it, it suits me, and it keeps me mentally alert, it keeps me working on a subject I'm interested in, you know, astronomy. Yeah. So, so why should I quit? One of my... Uh, one of my colleagues whose office is across the hall from mine is 78 and uh, he's still going. So I thought, what the heck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you say you like what you do and uh, what exactly do you do? Do you, is that, are you talking about teaching? I'm talking about teaching. Yes. Okay. So what, what do you like about teaching? Like, you... Um, I like the subject matter. I like talking about it. Uh, I don't mind talking about it. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it when the students get excited, mm -hmm. when they when they start seeing things and start asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, I like some of the other things that go with it. For example, um, you know, some of the talks and seminars we have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where speakers will come in. I just like learning new things. Mm -hmm. ah. um, so all of that. So learning, teaching, and then kind of going in a cycle, right? You teach, you learn new things, and you teach back. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you learn something all the time. Yeah. That's, you know, even outside of, of astronomy in Georgia State, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still trying to do that. You know, I still enjoy learning about all sorts of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what? Well, well, what other things were you, are you learning right now? Oh, I always, I always am interested in paleontology. Dinosaurs ah. have <laughs> been a hook for me ever since I was a teenager. Um, or probably a little kid, who knows. But yeah, I mean, that was part of what I was thinking about when I was young. You know, maybe I should go dig up dinosaur bones. Yeah. But still, I still uh, love learning about that. And uh, mm -hmm. some, of those, some of the things are just fascinating, uh, how feathers evolved and how they actually developed and how they changed and, and so forth. How feather? Feathers, yeah. On um, the birds? Yeah, well, some dinosaurs had feathers, what they call theropod dinosaurs. They you know? do? Yeah, T-Rex. Oh, what? T-Rex, um, Velociraptors, yeah, they almost certainly had some kind of feathers. Really? I, I, I know Jurassic Park doesn't show them with any, but they almost certainly did. Feathers, but not furs, but feathers. 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 Okay, so what's the use of feather for them? Um, well, not for flying, but <laughs> uh, feathers probably evolve for uh, just like fur did for 
mm. or regulating temperature, you know, okay. keeping, keeping warm. Okay. So, um, so probably, and there, you know, there are different kinds of feathers. You know what downy feathers are, right? Feathers like you might find on a baby bird, a chick or something. They're kind of fluffy. Okay, yeah. Those are called downy feathers. And um, um, they're definitely for warmth. So maybe, you know, feathers for flying evolved from, from something like that that was originally just to keep, keep the dinosaur warm. Yeah, yeah. So how are you learning that? I, I, uh, so I actually going back a little bit. Like why? So this is your own personal for your, per, for your yeah. own personal curiosity? Yeah, I just read. Oh, okay, okay. And I like reading history, so I'll do that also. Oh, okay. What's your, uh, I guess, which period? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, doesn't matter. Whatever grabs my interest. Um, for a long time, the Civil War, you know, I would read about the Civil War. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, you know, Roman Empire, uh, the uh, ancient wars between the, the Greeks and the Persians, you know, all sorts of things like that. What? I don't yeah. know. Uh, medieval Japan mm -hmm. interests me. Okay. So what, what drives that? What drives you to read history though? Do you, is it just curiosity or did you, are you trying to get something out of it? No, curiosity. Okay, you just in the past. Huh? What's that? You just curious about what happened in the past. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay. And the reason I ask because uh, I like I'm interested in history too, but uh, but I the reason that I'm interested because I want to know what happened in the past so I can apply it to the present maybe, right? So maybe have me have some idea like what's like because history repeats itself, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> So 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 so, so, so that's true. Yeah, so so I would, so that's why I want to understand the past to understand the present. So, yeah, things. Uh, something. Sometimes I have a specific idea. Like um, societies don't seem to last. You know, the Roman Empire ultimately collapsed. Yeah. The British Empire. You know, Britain is still there, but the empire is is no longer there. Yeah. Um, Dynasties in China have come and gone, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And so I'm sort of interested in, and some societies have collapsed completely, like uh, the Maya in Central America, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, sometimes I'll be interested in why does that happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Do things just get, um, do, do the society's rules just get old and, mm -hmm. um, no longer useful, but people are unwilling to change them to meet changing conditions or, you know, is it some kind of environmental issue or, you know, there could be all sorts of issues. So sometimes I'll, I'll read for that reason, but sometimes I'm just sort of, something just grabs my attention. Got you, got you. And who is always the most influential, influential person in your life? I guess my mom, mm -hmm. uh, and it's because um, she loved 
learning things. She mm-hmm. loved reading. She learned learning something new. Mm-hmm. And I picked that up from her, and I'm still that way. I love just finding out new things. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so did your parents encourage you to read? Uh, yeah, yeah. My mom and I have pretty similar personalities. Mm-hmm. And she, she definitely encouraged me to read. She always enjoyed reading also. And she ultimately got, she got her bachelor's after I did. She went back to college, but she got her bachelor's in oh, wow. English literature. So, so yeah. So why, why did she uh, get it earlier? Like, did she, because family? Because um, it was the Great Depression. Okay. In the 1930s, and I think they ran out of money, and she wasn't able to complete college. Mm-hmm. Okay. She, had to, she had to get a job. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. And then why, what did she, what did she do after, after night to quit school? I don't know what she did exactly after she quit school. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, um, at the start of the war, World War II, she worked, what's, what is it, the Judge Advocate General, mm-hmm. the legal office for the United States Army. Yeah. So she worked, she worked in, in, um, in that for the Army during the war. And after the war, um, she became uh, a civilian legal secretary until the kids came along. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then she's gonna then she stay home for to take care of you guys. Stayed home to take care of me and my brothers, and then uh, after we were all sort of away in school, mm. she began to be interested. Um, well, she first she started back to work, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, have something to do, mm. and then uh, then she, you know, decided, hey, I'm going to go back to college. Mm-hmm. So she did. Mm. So for a period of time there, I was at the University of Florida, had a brother at Auburn University, a brother at the University of Alabama, and my mom was at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. So so we were all in college at the same time. Wow, nice. Yeah. Um, So did you grow up in Alabama? Yeah, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, okay. Wow. How, how, was it, how was it like growing up in Birmingham? It was pretty nice, you know. <laughs> I, I lived in a suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, not right downtown in, in the middle of the city. And so it was sort of like suburban life here in Atlanta, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, riding bikes through the neighborhood and yeah. stuff like that. So... I think it's pretty typical childhood for, for like, you know, for people growing up in this country. Nice. Um, well, what did your, what did your dad do? He, he owned his own business and he did structural steel design, which mm-hmm. means, you know, skyscrapers for most of the 20th century were built using a steel framework. Mm-hmm. And somebody actually has to design each individual piece of steel going into that. Oh, wow. So that's what he did, which was, you know, um, 
kept him pretty busy for a long, long time. But later in life, they started building buildings out of concrete mm. instead of steel. So, you know, it it, um, it was tougher, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. This, this all sort of changed after I became an adult. So I was off doing my own thing. But I know it. Um, jobs like that were harder and harder to get, you know, late, late in the 20th century. What is your greatest struggle right now? Right now, my greatest struggle? Mm. Oh, wow. Well, you don't mean day to day, I don't think. Day to day, just keeping up with, with Georgia State is tough. Yeah. Um, two things. One is um, just physically getting older, it's tougher to do the things you're used to doing. And Kanu really points that out, you know, it's just, just gets harder and harder. So just dealing with physical limitations is tough for me. Mm. Um, and, um, the thing that's mentally in my mind, you know, that I keep going back and forth on is retiring, you know, I like what I do, but sometimes I'm a little, I'm a little tired of it. Does that mean I want to retire? Should I, should I not? So that's a mental struggle going on. Yeah. Yeah. Last two questions. How would you like to be remembered? That is so tough. <laughs> I think I'd like to be remembered as a great dad and grandfather. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I'm, I'm still working on that part. <laughs> and um, as far as um, Sun Ming Shu goes, um, I'd like to be remembered as somebody that um, really loved uh, the school and really loved that part of my life, you know, um, working out with everybody there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just been a fixture in my life for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, last question is if you can put a word or message outside the dojo window for people driving by, what would that be? Oh, wow. That's sort of tough. I've seen people mocked for coming up with one word like that. Oh, it could be a message. It doesn't have to be a word. Oh, okay. Um, could be a, your favorite quote or something like that. Yeah. You know, something on the order of keep trying or never give up. Mm. You just, if you, if you, if you want to accomplish something, just keep at it. Mm-hmm. That's sort of it. I saw saw something funny the other day. Uh, Somebody, you know, the saying is, if one door closes, another opens, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody said, if a door closes, open it. That's what doors do. (laughs) So so to me, that sort of saying, don't give up. Just keep at it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even if the door is closed, just, you know, open it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Nice. Me too, actually. Yeah, I actually never thought about it that way. Nice. Well, that's the part that that's what doors do. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what doors do. They're made to open, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. I think that's a good place to end. Like, okay. If, 
opening the door. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks, Sensei Bay, for, uh, you know, sharing your uh, story and your lessons. Well, thank you. This was, um, I'm very flattered mm. that, you, uh, that you wanted to do this with me. So thank you very much. I appreciate it.